and I probably should change her uh, to her title. I didn't know what the title was. It's good to be back with you again a second Sunday and appreciate the invitation to be here and the reception I've had last week and the friendliness that you have this week. It's a blessing to be here and to be a part of your fellowship. I put in the bulletin this morning an insert for with the outline of my message. The reason I did that is because there's a lot of scripture there and, and a lot of t subtopics and you probably forget the first before we got to the last. <laughs> So this you can read at your leisure at home if you choose, and uh, I trust you will. And uh, I will read some of the scriptures, but certainly not all of these, and we refer to some of them. We'll start with Luke 18. Luke 18 with verses 19 to 14, 9 to 14. And uh, if you will, let's start right there and talk about humility. I'll just begin reading in the New King James Version. I don't know what version you have there. Also, this is now Jesus. Also, he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Here's the parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. They're only supposed to pass, do once a year. Some did it once a week, and I do it twice a week. I give tithes of all I possess. That's more than required. And the tax collector standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, a sign of confession and repentance, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Jesus told this parable to show the distinction between two types of people, two types of persons, the humble person and the self-righteous and proud person. The humble person can be helped. When they, when they encounter Jesus and, and the Heavenly Father, the proud self-righteous person cannot be helped because they don't think they need any help. As I've observed various people through the years, I've noticed the same two types of people. They can be found among the lost people and among the saved people. Becoming humble is not a once-for-all event. It's really a continuous process. Among the lost, there are those whose lives and manners are messed up to some degree, who are living in sin, who are making their life miserable for them and for those around them. They realize, I have realized that often they, what they need, and I have realized that often what they need as a starting point is to be humble. It's not enough to rag on them and nag them and so forth, but to me, it, it, 
if they really got into this habit of, of, of being whatever that's obnoxious, you have to start at the bottom. Start with humility. And that's why I'm talking about being humbled by God. Also, uh, on my prayer list are some saved people. Some saved people, church members whose lives are not right. They're not yet yielded to the Lord. They have habits or characteristics that are obnoxious and, 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 and self-centered. They're falling into sin from time to time through temptations. And those who are Christians but are not yet living in a manner of pleasing to God, they too, for a change of life, need to start at the bottom with humility. Humility. Be humbled by God. Also, let me define it here. One, one definition I got. The central thought is lowliness, meekness, modesty, mildness, and freedom from pride. God humbles men to bring them into obedience. Humility is an effect of the action of God, or maybe, or also of circumstances. The action of other people, God can use people around us, or of ourselves, or any of all of these that may be brought together by God through His Holy Spirit to confront us that we need to be humbled. Often when a person is out of fellowship with God, they need to be humbled. So it's something we cannot do to them or for them. We may be involved in it at God's choosing, but we can't nag, nag, nag and expect to get anywhere. <laughs> Only the Lord can bring circumstances to bear that will cause them to be humble to the deepest part of their being and ready for help. We're ready for change. Often it's a crisis in someone's life uh, that will, or, or a loss in, that will help bring someone to that point and to admit to themselves that they need some changes. Let me just run down a few examples of the people that I've met that, uh, uh, who, need, who, have, who have needed and who do, may need today to be humble. I think of a, a relative, really, a man, seminary graduate, two degrees. But he is a husband and father who thinks that he is totally in charge of his household and allows no one to think for herself, his wife and his two grown daughters, under his thumb. He's emotionally abusive. Here's another man. He's deceased now, but he was related. A man who thinks he knows it all. He's done it all. Who knows better than anyone else. Uh, yet he, he was an alcoholic, a cheat, a liar, a thief, and a leech. <laughs> All of that. And he expected others to pay his way. Never did change. We can look around us at addicts who are hooked on alcohol or drugs and, and who may eventually hit bottom. And maybe that's good because they, they come to the point when they hit bottom that this isn't getting me anywhere. I need to change. That's the point of humility. And they reach out for some help. They probably, probably couldn't do it on their own. A lot of people, you know, go to Alcoholics Anonymous or go to the church. And, and, and uh, there are various ways that God can bring help to them. But until they get to the point of saying, I, I, I can't do it anymore on my own. I, I need help. They won't seek it. And then today we hear about sports and entertainment figures. We hear about politicians 
many of whom are rich and famous and <laughs> who think that they are invincible and the rules don't apply to them. How many times do we hear a politician say, uh, I'm sorry, I've sinned. <laughs> They're going to butter it over <laughs> to make themselves look good. Then there's the self-made man who thinks that his position in life is of his own doing. You know, look at me. I've got it made. I did it. And just, aren't, aren't you proud of me? <laughs> you know, that's, that's what he thinks of a lot in his life. Now, then there are those who are unrepentant sinners who are enjoying the pleasures of sin for a while, not realizing the cost that it brings to themselves or to those around them. It's like the parable of the, uh, the prodigal son. He, he lived it up as long as it lasted, and then when the bottom fell out, he, he realized that he was really humbled and needed to confess and come back home and live a different life. The next example that I have is one I've seen often, too often, really, in church life. There may be a self-centered church member who is used to getting his or her own way, who resists change who demands control and fights to keep it. I, you know, let me say that again, because it's, you run down the list of churches where they've suffered under the people like this. I don't know about your church. I don't know anything about you. The self-centered church member who's used to getting his or her own way, who resists change, who demands control and fights to get it. If that kind of a situation exists, there's likely to be a crippling effect in a church and maybe a split, multiple splits, you know, that you, generation after generation. But then I put on here myself. Myself. When I, I realize that I have been lazy or careless or self-centered or, or forgetful or critical, I'm good at criticism. <laughs> and, and I keep a list in my prayer notebook of, times in which I embarrassingly had to confess the fault of criticism. And I'm humbled by it. And when we are humbled, we're forced to face the truth about ourselves and turn and make a right confession to God and, and so forth. Now let's look at some biblical examples of those who were not humbled when they were confronted by God. We'll start with Adam. Do you remember Adam? <laughs> uh, there it is. The man said, uh, Adam sinned, ate the fruit of the garden that was prohibited. God came to him and says, what have you done? How do you know that you're not, that you're naked? Have you eaten of that tree I told you not to eat of? Well, the woman that you gave me, <laughs> she gave it to me and, and I did eat. You know, He's passing off the responsibility for what he did wrong. We're pretty good at that sometimes. Children are really great at this, you know, aren't they? But we ought to grow out of it when we get older. There's another one. Um, and his son, Cain. Cain killed Abel, and God confronted Cain, and he said, well, where's your brother? I don't know. Who am I to keep up with him? See, he was passing off responsibility for his, his actions. Another example is uh, uh, King Saul. King Saul started out well, but it wasn't too long before he was in trouble because of his character. It was not right. It was deficient. And uh, one time, Saul went out to war. He was confronted by this overwhelming force of the enemy. 
and, and his, the, the prophet that was there at that time uh, said, you, you wait here and I'll be back in seven days and we'll confront the enemy. Seven days came and went, the prophet hadn't showed up yet. And he got afraid. So he said, bring us a sacrifice. We'll do a sacrifice. I'll just do this myself. I'm not waiting on that prophet. And, 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 uh, and so he was in the midst of the sacrifice. And the prophet shows up and says, well, what are you doing? Well, well, you know, when you didn't come, when you said you would, I, 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 was, I, I was felt compelled. I just was compelled to do this. No, that was the wrong thing to do. That's only for the priests to do. That was only to do at the time when I said that I was to come. This is the God's word. You should have waited. No, he, he excused himself. Then there's some examples in the Bible of people who were confronted with their sinful whatever and who were humbled as a result of being confronted. David, Psalm 51, verses 1 to 3. And... Uh, David, of course, is guilty of, uh, of adultery and uh, murder to cover it up. And he was still trying to hide it when, uh, when uh, the prophet came and said at God's direction, uh, uh, what have you done? And David said, uh, uh, well, okay, you caught me, and I confess. I, and, and David, in, in that Psalm 51 really confessed that he knew that he was wrong. And he deserved to be stoned. You know, that was, he deserved to be killed for cause of two different things. But the prophet said, no, you, you, God's going to spare you. You'll suffer for this, but you'll be spared. But David was repentant on that occasion. Over in Babylon, there was a ruler called Nebuchadnezzar, and, and, and the prophet went to him at God's direction and said, look, you 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 got to shape up, or God's going to judge you. No, he didn't didn't do it. It's in Daniel, uh, Daniel 20, Daniel chapter four. So this Nebuchadnezzar was walking around his palace one day, and he says, "Oh boy, look at all the riches I have, all the beautiful place I have built, and I, I'm so proud of myself." And suddenly God said, "You're out of here." Changed his mental condition to that of an animal because he gave glory to himself instead of to God when he had previously been warned about his problem. So after a long time, God came to him again and gave him his mind back. And he, and there in Daniel, it tells about how he confessed to all of his, all of his kingdom that this God, this, this God of Daniel's has, has uh, confronted me, and he is God. He is the real God. And, and I, 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 he was humbled. He humbled me. And I got my mind back when I confessed my wrong and my pride. Think of the Pharisees. Nicodemus came to Jesus. Why? By night. He was a little afraid otherwise. John the Baptist. John the Baptist was preaching in, uh, there in Luke chapter 3. And all these people came out, and the Spirit of God was working mightily in those lives, and, and teaching and teaching, preaching as he preached to them. And uh, they responded, well, what should we do? They were humbled and convicted by, by John the Baptist preaching. It wasn't the words that he spoke. It was the power of the Holy Spirit who's speaking through him that got them to this point of humility and confession for their sin. And so he said to this one, do this and this and this and stop doing that. And it brought about a great change. And people flocked to hear John the Baptist 
because of the revival that he was bringing about in his life. You remember at the Last Supper of Jesus, the tradition was in those days as you entertained people who walked on dusty roads with sandals, that when they sat down or lay down to eat at the table situation, somebody washed their feet. That was a delightful thing to have done to you. And all of his 12 disciples were there and nobody had offered to wash feet. And, and it was a hired hall. It wasn't, nobody was hired to do the washing of the feet, so nobody did it. And here they were, you know, bragging about how great they were and talk, talking about who's, who's going to be the best and the biggest. And, and Jesus just got up, got his basin, got a towel, and he started washing feet. And then what happened? He says, look, you're talking about being so great and who's going to be first in the kingdom and you haven't even bothered to be humble enough to wash somebody's feet. And, and on another occasion, he said, as the scripture here, a dispute arose about how, who was going to be the best in the kingdom of God. And Jesus took a little child and brought him into his midst and said, look, you don't get great by being, by claiming it for yourself. You've got to be a servant. You've got to be as a child and, and think of yourself as a servant one to another if you're going to want to be great. You remember Peter at that last supper? I'll never deny you, Lord. No siree. I'll go with you to the death. And then they got out there. Jesus was hauled before the court. And, and, and his, his situation was desperate. And, and, and Peter followed him. And, and he was desperate. He thought he'd get caught and, and, and get the same thing that Jesus was going to get. And uh, Jesus predicted, you're going to deny me three times tonight. Not me. Not me. And then the rooster crowed, which was predicted. And, and suddenly... Peter was humbled. I did it. I did it. I did what he said I was going to do, and I'm ashamed of myself. And ran outside, and he wept, and he crawled into, I guess, this little hole, and, and just wept at how awful he had been. And the last example of, uh, of was Jesus. Or was Paul. Paul? Well, the man named Saul, later called Paul. Saul went around persecuting believers. There in Acts chapter, uh, well, various, various places in chapter of Acts. But chapter 9, it says, Jesus appeared to him on the road to Damascus. Bright light and a voice, the voice of Jesus. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Well, who are you? I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting. You are? Suddenly he arrives he had the divine presence in his mind and his heart that this was Jesus speaking to him. He had never known him in person. He couldn't have recognized his voice. But he knew in his heart that God, through his son Jesus Christ, was speaking to him right then. And this one who thought Jesus was dead and buried and stolen was alive. And he had been persecuting the followers of Jesus. And, and now he realized that everything he was Trying to do to stamp out this faith of the Christians was wrong, exactly wrong. And so he simply said, what do you want me to do? What, what, what shall I do? <laughs> he said, I'm going to make you a missionary and send you to the Gentiles and so forth. 
These are examples of people in Scripture, some who were humbled and some who refused to be humbled. What's the significance of being humbled? Well, we, we, several things. One is that we, we realize that God is mightier than we are. He's mightier than us. In Jeremiah 32, 17, Lord, you have made heaven and earth. There's nothing too hard for you. And many, many more scriptures we could pull up and say that, that God is mightier than we are. We can't brag and claim to be all that we sometimes claim to be. The last verse of Ecclesiastes, that we will be held accountable and God will judge us for what we are and what we've done. The significance of being humble is that I must submit to him. And also after that, I must depend upon him for everything in life and guidance and work and life and so forth. There are limitations to my abilities, to my privileges, there are limitations to my knowledge and to my wisdom. I don't have it all together. I can't brag like that anymore. I must acknowledge that I am less than the top. God is the only one like that. And in my weaknesses, as I see them now in my humility, I realize that I must work with other people, not fight against them. And I must depend on the help of other people instead of trying to do it all on my own. That's why, again, Alcoholics Anonymous and other groups like that um, there's a Christian group called, uh, I can't remember the name of it, Celebrate Recovery is what it is. Uh, they, they help people to realize that, no, we, we, we're not in charge and doing a good job of it. We are weak and we need help and we need God's help and we need the help of those around us who know what it's like to be, have been humbled and to come to the knowledge of the truth. But sometimes we know a little bit about being humble, but we resist it. No, 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 no. We, we, we resist it. Why would we do that? Well, several reasons. One is pride. We like being proud, you know. We like being proud. Uh, I, I like, you know, I say to myself, I can do it myself. I can take care of it. I bow to no one. No one bosses me around. I'm never wrong. I never make mistakes and, or some degree thereof. But pride is, is, is deadly. It really is. And uh, the, the, in the, the book of Proverbs, there's a number of times in which pride is, discovered, is revealed as being something that doesn't belong in our hearts. There's another thing, the self-righteousness. We read that parable about the, the Pharisee. Sometimes we think, oh, I've got it made. I'm good. I'm not like they are over there. You just go down the street here and pick up any off the dr street drunk and I'm better than they are, you know, or, or I'm better than those folks who live in those ramshackle houses over there or who get drunk or what, you know. We can always think of some way to think that we are better than others and therefore that makes us good enough. Doesn't work. Then there's a matter of lust. Well, I just want it. I want what I want. And I'm going to get it. I have it. It's the right that I have. I, I, we mentioned in Sunday school class this morning that, that uh, the, the advertisers love to appeal to our desires, our lust for things. And, and so the advertisers say, you know, on the television screen, uh, uh, you can have it like you, like you want it. You come to our restaurant, you can get it on the, on the, on the uh, 
go through the internet, through the cell phone, we'll bring it out to you, you can come in and get it, and not have to wait in line, and, or you can get it with or without mustard, or with or without whatever, you know, whatever you want, go for it. And so we're, the lust in our minds is fed by the advertisers today. You know, you owe it to yourself, says the advertisers. So we go buy another dress that we don't need and hang it in the closet with those that we haven't worn for a year. We had a relative, my wife, he had a lot of hand-me-down clothes from her, and she, she said, most of, a lot of them have no, have never had the tags taken off of it. Why does she have such a big closet full of clothes? You know, that's a problem. I want what I want. Then there's the, the matter of power. Sometimes we resist being humble because we like power. Power over other people. Power over other people. And, and I've mentioned one example of it in the church. You know, I, I've been here all these years and, and I've decorated my Sunday school classroom and I've taught this class here for so many years and you're not going to replace me, no way, <laughs> with by letting somebody else teach this class. This is my class. Or, you know, anything like that. We have power. We, we like the pleasure and the significance of lording it over others sometimes. How sad it is. Sometimes it's the power that, that, that feeds our greed. You know, I can, I can financially excel at making money because I know how to finagle everything around and get it from other people. But then I've noticed, too, when it comes to power, there's a psychological reason for some people that they have been abused or shortchanged in life and they've never really grown to accept handle life and so they, they, they have developed a habit of self-protection. I can only feel good about myself if I can be in control of the circumstances that I have to deal with in my awful situation. And so they become a control freak. And, and either whether it's household or, or, or how you do your uh, shopping or, or how you do, you know, who you let you come to your house or whatever it may be. There are people who just have this compulsion. It's, it's not so much maybe a sin as it is a, a defect in their personality because of the way they were raised. And, and there's that compulsion for some people to just got to be in control. But for them as well, the, the, the solution would be, how do I let go of this need to control and trust people? And trust God to take care of me. And then sometimes it's just fear. Well, I, I, I've got to take care of myself. I, 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 can we, can't you trust God to take care of you? Well, I don't know. I, I think I just keep on trusting myself. I, I better, no. Fear can sometimes do this. Well, what are some blessings of being humble? When we experience a season of humbling events in our lives, we can have two opposite reactions. There's a negative reaction that we can have. Why did you let this happen to me, God? Why did you let? I don't, you know, nobody should have to go through this. It may be because some loss or some whatever in, in life, and, and, we, and we've lost money, lost friends, or lost relatives, or, or, or lost our position, or, uh, and, and we, we, if we don't accept it for what God intends it as a call to come to Him, we may turn against God. Why did you let this happen to me? This isn't fair, God. This is not right. I, 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 and the bitterness toward God might be the thing. Turn your back on Him. 
because it didn't work out the way you wanted. I prayed and I prayed, and I, but you know. But. Then there's a positive reaction to humbling events. Humbling events can be viewed and should be viewed as, an, as a gift from God. To view the experience that will bring good into my life. I didn't get that job this year. I deserved it. Somebody else got it. They've only been on the job six months. I've been here six years. Why didn't I get the job? And maybe a year from now, God's got a better job with a better company and a better pay, <laughs> just waiting for the right time to come along. And, and so what seems like a terrible thing now may turn out in God's plan to be a wonderful thing later on. And if we can learn to trust God uh, with, with the experiences that bring us down, that it won't get us down and keep us down, but rather we will learn to depend upon Him because we are humbling ourselves to say, okay, Lord, I accept it. You make the most of it, and I will do that. Here's, I have to skip, the James 4.10. James writes, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Now notice what happens. There's two directions. Humble yourselves, in our mind, in our English mind, says that's going down. I'm putting myself down. But God says, when you do that, I will lift you up. So we can exchange being put down as a good thing to being lifted up by God. There's a little chorus that we used to sing. I don't know, maybe they still do. I'll sing it for you. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. And he will lift you up higher and higher and he will lift you up. That's the joy of being humbled by God. He can lift us up if we let him. If we humble ourselves and stop trusting in ourselves, God can lift us up and shower his blessings upon us in ways that we could never imagine. Let's bow in prayer. Father, help us this day whenever we come to humbling circumstances to, to look, them, look at them as though they are for our benefit, not for our punishment. Help us to look at them, though, as a way for you to shower your blessings as you change our hearts from one way to another way, as you teach us patience, as you teach us generosity and love and faith and, and um, compassion for others. Help us, Father, to look to you and say, Lord, whatever happens, I will trust you and I will be your servant. In Jesus' name, amen. Maybe this morning as we have our closing hymn, you need to respond to the Lord in some way. I invite you to share with me if you wish or share with the congregation how God has, been touched in, has touched you. And maybe there's a decision you need to make and, and he wants to help you make that decision this morning. While we stand and sing, come and share with me what I've